What do you do if you're a chef in Philly, you open a restaurant that's named Best in Philly, and your burger wins Best of Philly? You bail out and open a coffee truck, obviously. That's exactly what Johnny Mac did. He's the co-founder of Rival Brothers Coffee, and he's our guest on this episode. Don't forget to rate the Darn Podcast on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. Actually, you should probably pause this now and just rate us before finishing the episode. We can't stress how much that helps us, but only if you like what we're doing. If you don't like what we're doing, please continue listening to the podcast that you don't like without leaving a rating. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all as The Philly Blunt, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. Yo, this is Greg. And uh, sadly, Reef is out of commission. His uh, lovely wife, Steph, is getting further along in the pregnancy, and they are... uh uh, he was instructed to stay home tonight. Let's just put it that way. Wise uh, move. Yes, yes. And uh, our guest tonight, uh, the illustrious Johnny Mack of Rival Brothers Coffee, probably can relate to some, uh, to some degree because you've got three kids yourself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when the wife says, uh, no, you're not going to do a podcast tonight, you're staying home. Mm-hmm. You're staying home, right? That's usually what happens, too. She goes, not another podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> she goes, stay home. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, They've been hot on this podcast circuit. Yeah. Are, yeah oh, every man. day. I, I mean, it happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, sure. I live in West Mount Airy, which is pretty close to the suburbs, so dude's just podcast all the time. Oh, yeah. There, you know yeah. Yeah, just out of the basement. It's like lemonade stands. Everyone's just podcast. Like my, my boy, if I can plug my boy, uh, uh, Marcos Espinoza. Uh, known from um, his food blogging days as as Fidel Gastro. Sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. he's a good Twitter follow. Big. T- is yeah. he the? Are they? The, is he the dads who drink? Is he dad d- drinking? Okay. Yeah. An excellent podcast. Yeah, that's a fun so, one. I should warn you. The the last time, the only time I podcasted, um, it turned into a two parter. Oh wow. We we were drinking Sazeracs and we oh, pre-gamed I love Sazeracs. Like, some crazy double IPAs that were warm. For some reason, and uh, I was like, Marcus, we're in the suburbs, we're in Lafayette Hill. You have plenty of fridge space. There's no reason <laughs> right, not to be drinking yes. warm double IPAs. No, no, no double, reason. Double IPA is warm, but brutal. Yeah. Brutal. It hurt. It, yeah. It's like yeah. drinking it's not glass. Like it's, yeah, that's yeah. like, well, yeah, it's like worse than like when you're 15 and you're drinking warm, shitty Pilsners. Yeah. At least like, it's going down like yeah. tonic water more or less. Exactly. Double IPA is not the thing you want warm. Mm-hmm. No. No. Uh, it was like a harpoon special release, too. So it was like a total waste that it wasn't uh, the right temperature. And uh, then we followed that up with like absinthe and whiskey. Sure. Oh, nice. yeah. It ended up with me and him like shirtless, trying to do the <laughs> floss in the basement, and definitely like trying to play heavy metal on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. yeah nice. That probably isn't the way this one's going to end up, mm. all things considered. You, I, I unfortunately. With well, that's before. true. That's true. We don't know exactly, but uh, I do have to prepare for a Hamilton quiz tomorrow. So. <laughs> I can only get but uh, so lit. No, I probably no, I probably won't be flossing. But you know, you never know. You never know. We're just getting started. So we we end up at Grace Tavern. This is a sec- our second time here for a podcast. Get out, right yeah. on. And uh, the first one was a world class ballerina, mm. Lillian Di Piazza. She's like the head of Pennsylvania Ballet, right? She's a principal dancer there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. So this is. Uh, Across the board, from coffee to ballet, this is a pretty popular spot. What uh, What do you like so much about Grace Tavern? It's real. 
it's just a good place to hang out. The food's always awesome. This has inspired a lot of my business ventures, and it's circled around this location. And Fergie has always been in the backdrop of everything you do as a Philadelphian. You you have no choice. Um, there's usually Fergie there. Like he, he photobombs pictures un, unwittingly, you know. Um, but he's been a big uh, a mentor. Uh, his partner Tom at Monks has been uh, a, just a good source of inspiration and advice. So yeah, it was just when I think about it, I look back and I'm like, yeah, it's been like I remember when this opened, you know, and, right. and it was definitely just one of those places that was always like, you know, what we should do. And when we were opening Pub and Kitchen, we were all sitting here, me and Eddie Hackett and Dan and Mike, and we're we should just do it like these guys do. Right. Let's just call something else and let's try to do it a little different but like this is the right idea right 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 the dim lighting and the old school sort of bar feel yeah like you know a burger like throw the bun on the grill so it gets a little charred up and you know stuff like that just don't try too hard just do it right how did you get into the restaurant game yeah i get this job as a busboy at a japanese restaurant i walked in and i was there for 10 minutes and got fired i still don't know what (laughs) i did wrong they literally just handed me a bus tub and the guy pointed and i went over and i literally just scooped everything like like movie style, just <laughs> right. scooped it into the bin. Uh, I got called upstairs, and I'll never forget. Um, there was this like the owner of the restaurant would sit at the top. There was a sake bar upstairs that no one was ever at except for him, just drinking like like <laughs> scotch and chain smoking and looking down upon his minions. And I remember he was in the corner, and this like very sweet like Japanese woman manager was like, "Very sorry, I can't explain it to you, but you need to go." And I was like, why do I need to go? And this guy's just like smoking violently and like looking at me. And I was just like, I was not getting an answer. And that was it. So I left. I went back to La Colombe because that's where we met every day. It was La Colombe on 19th Street right uh, before work. I went there and my buddies were like, uh, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. You know, I got, it was funny because before I left, I was like, hey, I just finally got a restaurant job. I'll see you guys. And everybody was like, yeah, Johnny got a job. And then like 20 minutes later, I'm like, hey. And like, did you forget something? I'm like, I don't no, have a job. I already fired. <laughs> um, so a friend of mine took me out. She's like, I'm meeting my boss. We're going to Davio's, uh, the second floor, right on 17th Street. Going to Davio's with my boss for drinks. Went up there. Meanwhile, I'm like dressed to be like a waiter. I have like a white t-shirt on and like, like stretchy black pants from Banana Republic that flared out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, rocking a little flare. And definitely some Steve Madden loafers or, or something. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and we hung out there, and then I overheard the GM talking about needing a busboy. You're like, well, I, I have 10 minutes' experience. I got I'm already <laughs> dressed, ready to I'm go. I'm ready to go. Just put me in a tunic. <laughs> You're, you're like you're like the guy that shows up for the for the baseball game wearing the full baseball uniform just in case. Totally. Just in case somebody you gets put know. on the IL and they're like, "Hey, we do need another bullpen arm." I'm I'm a walk-on busboy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a red-shirted waiter. Yeah, I, I definitely um and I don't remember I don't think it was that night, but I definitely like struck up a conversation with the GM that night, Etor, who I'm still friends with and he was like, yeah, when you know, come back tomorrow or whatever it was. Uh, and I lear- literally learned everything at that restaurant and would call my friends, but you got to come work at this place. It was everybody had left the Four Seasons. It was like LaCroix had just left to open up LaCroix. And um, I think Marty Hamill was still there, but he was on his way out. So th- there was this contingency that came to Davio's. He's like Four Seasons trained employees, the chef and the GM, the SOM, and like, I learned all of these things that I, I never would have been hired at the Four Seasons. 
but I got hired at Davio's and learned wine service. I learned how to fillet a fish with two spoons on a cart in front of people, upsell $1,000 bottles of wine to pharmaceutical groups. You name it, I learned it. I learned all meat cuts, pasta cuts, and shapes, everything I learned in that place. Half the Italian I speak is because I worked at that restaurant. You know, like, it was an amazing experience. And I was on and off there for like five years. So you you went over to Spain at some point in your twenties. Uh, did learn some learned in those kitchens over there. Uh, mm-hmm. Where exactly were you? I was in San Sebastian. Okay. Yeah. And you were there for what about a year or so? I was like eight months. Okay. At, at Mugaritz, um, three star Michelin restaurant, and yeah, it was just crazy. That was an example. I ne- I didn't get paid either. Like the whole time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a whole different thing. There was fifty seats. There was thirty cooks. And there was like maybe eight or nine of them were actually on payroll. And the rest of us were all there just for the experience. Right, right, right. Um, they provided room. So it was basically an unpaid internship. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we would go We'd go in at 9 a.m. Um, we would break at, I think, like 1.30. And then we'd come back at 4 or 4.30 and then usually finish up around midnight. And that was almost every day. Um, really inspiring. Really awesome time. Yeah, made a lot of great great connections there great friends there and basically didn't know what I was going to do afterwards and met a guy from New York City he said I'm going to help this this guy Paul Liebrand open a restaurant in New York you should just come so I came back to Philly for like a month right when Mike Solomonov took over Marigold Kitchen um, and then kind of landed there got my feet back on the ground saved up a couple bucks and then moved to New York slept on the couch and was there for a year before we opened Snack Bar and what was that that was your first really restaurant to call your own right yeah that was my first place um i was 28 yeah it was crazy um and that was uh the idea was small plates it was supposed to be like create your own tasting menu kind of thing a lot of molecular gastronomy a lot of weird stuff going on and the whole idea was just i was so excited to like i've been traveling around cooking around all these places and eating at all these wild restaurants and i'm like i just I just wanted to come home and show everybody like what I had learned, like, and and it wasn't like a ha check this out. It was just like yo, you got, you guys are gonna love this. Like, look at this foam, look at this gel, look at this whatever. I was just excited, and um, it was really not received very well at all. You know, it was just I think wrong place, wrong time, wrong motives, right. wrong this intentions. Is, I, yeah. I, you know, I was a kid. I was all fired up and yeah this is this is a cheesesteak town not a meat glue and exactly. you know parsley bubbles town I did both of those <laughs> Definitely. I did um, and it was funny because like I remember you know Craig LeBond came in you know and, and reviewed it and was like ah, you know there's some good ideas here but not enough substance and he was totally right mm. he was totally right I hadn't cooked long enough for anybody to be firmly rooted in the classics or you know I had worked for Perrier I had worked for Scarduzio right. at Brasserie Perrier um, I had worked for Itor Sarasso at Davios I worked for some good people just not long enough you know and um, Scar- was that was that was that tough was that hard when you were getting probably it's your own place so obviously you take a lot of pride in it and you got some negative feedback from Lebon and from some others was that hard for you to take oh yeah I took it so personally so uh, Danya Henninger ripped me publicly oh yeah like, wow. oh man she's tough and you guys interviewed her too yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. she's yeah. a friend she's, of the yeah, she's, she's a pistol <laughs> she's a pistol I love her she's awesome she she was I had this plate 
of it was a snack on the menu. It was like three bucks, and it was a bowl of pickles. It was a half sour, a full sour, a green tomato, and there was something else in it. It was three bucks. They were from Gus's Pickles in the Lower East Side, and every week I'd get on the train and I would go to New York and I would buy these pickles myself, five gallon buckets on the Amtrak. My girlfriend, now my wife, was living in New York, and I'd go to see her on my day off, and then I'd like go go from the Upper East Side to the Lower East Side, buy these damn pickles, get on the train, like literally carrying these. <laughs> <laughs> and she posts on Chow Hound or something. She's like three dollars pickles. She's like these are the pickles you get for free at a good deli. Oh, man. Oh, ouch. And I was like, yeah, except you're not paying $18 for a sandwich here. You're right. And getting the pickle bar. That's not what this <laughs> is about. The name of the restaurant is literally Snack Bar. Right. We didn't do bread. We did flavored popcorn. You know, we did, like, all these fun. We just wanted to make it fun and quirky. and mm-hmm. um, Like, how long does it take you to rebound from the, the failure of the Snack Bar? Well, I think I looked at it as, uh, as a stepping stone. You know, it was definitely so. At at 28, I moved back to to Philly from New York. Uh, newly single, was just trying to do my own thing. I was like, I'm 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 swearing off women, and I'm just gonna like focus on my work, my life work, and this is gonna be great. And it's gonna be everything. And then my best friend got married, and I was in the wedding, and I fell in love with this girl at the wedding. We've been together literally ever since that day, and then within two years. I'm opening up a gastro pub on 20th and Lombard. Um, my girlfriend, who's amazing, moved back, moved down from New York, and then got pregnant. So it was like all of a sudden, I was like, my priorities shifted quickly. Sure. And uh, I, I realized I was like, you know what? I can still do fine dining. I was like, I kind of need a break from it. Um, Ed Hackett, who who opened Pubbing Kitchen, um, he was coming from Ray and uh, Gail with Dan Stern, and the same idea where he was kind of like burned out of like. We were originally going to call it Windsor Pub and Kitchen after the Windsor Knot, which we swore we would never tie again. And I was like, that's brilliant. I always wanted that to be the name because the whole idea was like fine dining and blue jeans, you know, right, uh, right. And, and a pub and kitchen of like give the experience of like next level soignee, but with a burger and fries and a really good beer. But like we made the recipe for the beer and we brewed it with Six Point and, you know, this burger is this custom proprietary thing, which we did. And. You know, um, I mean, the beer was seven bucks, and we sold a hamburger for eighteen. Like, it was not your local yeah. corner place, even though it kind of looked like it. You right. know, um, so I think that was that was it. And I'll never forget Rick Nichols, who's another one of my Philly heroes, especially in writing style. But he he reviewed. It wasn't really a review. It was kind of like he would write for the Enquirer, like what's what's new, what's coming out. And I remember he wrote, Johnny Mac has landed firmly, has come back out of the clouds, and has got his feet back on the ground. Because I was doing meatloaf, fish and chips, burgers. Right, yeah. I was doing a steak with onion rings. And then I was like, man, yeah, like, that was the, that was the best write-up I've ever had, by the way, was mm-hmm. the unofficial Rick Nichols review, who was just like, this is what it's about. It's a good steak, good onion rings, a little quick sauce. Don't overthink it. Good ingredients. Keep it local. And that that was the that was the paradigm shift for me. Looking back, were you smelling yourself a little bit being in, up in New York and that experience? And you're like, I'm going to go show these people in Philly how to do this a little bit. I think there was there was definitely an element of that. Like I just come from like Spain and New York, yeah. and like getting right. these positions that were that were really hard to get. Like I applied at this restaurant El Bui in Rosa, Spain. I applied like seven times. 
never even got a call back, an email back, and I was using all my connections. And finally, one day, after ye- literally years of trying, I got an email from this restaurant, Mugaritz, that I had like kind of like hail married like 18 months before that, and got an email, and it was like, "This is what you can expect. Be here, like in Bilbao, at this time, at this date, and stay for you know whatever three months." And like that was it. And I remember telling my girlfriend at the time, I was like, I don't know. And she was like, You've been wanting to do this forever. Like, shut up and like get the fuck out and go do it. Right. So like landing that and then doing it, um, yeah, definitely was like a sense of accomplishment. I was 25 when that happened, and I, for a kid who dropped out of college, yeah, man, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, I didn't go to culinary school. I started as a waiter, and when I was like, Yeah, I'm done. I, I was like, I don't want to be a waiter anymore. I want to go be a cook. And everybody was like, Get the fuck out of here. You know, like you're making a thousand bucks a week cash you really want to go clean fish in a basement? <laughs> right. Really? And I was like, yeah, because I'd rather do it and fail and go back to being a waiter because I'll be that much better of a waiter if mm-hmm. I know how to clean fish in a basement, right? Then being 55 years old, I'm being like, man, I wish I had cooked. Yeah. You know, I wish I tried. And, and I think that, yeah, I definitely got a little ahead of myself. I think I got ahead of my skills. And I, and I think I got it, you know, definitely had like a chip on the shoulder. You know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, it happens to the best of people. You know, there's something about it, though, that, that would impress me about working in New York was um, was definitely just the camaraderie amongst the other cooks I worked with. Like, I thought it was going to be very competitive. I thought yeah. it was going to be very cutthroat. Yeah. And it, it wasn't. There was like, once you kind of proved your, your metal, yeah. it was these guys took me in. Working in New York just kind of reframed what I thought of New York mm-hmm. and honestly I went there with one intention check that box say that I did it yeah. you know mm-hmm. what I mean um, I'll, everybody's like oh don't you miss it and I'm like no I'm like it's 90 minutes away <laughs> right. I yeah. love visiting right. I yeah. couldn't I have friends who have like two kids who live in like a, a one bedroom apartment over <laughs> right, East Side, right, right, and they're yeah. like they have this like ridiculous stupid Instagram life and I'm like you're so full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. I got a backyard. I just, and that's why the reason we opened Rival in, in Philly was because you get called out on your bullshit. And like I kept, yeah. I, I moved away and I kept coming back to Philly. We kept coming home. And Damien and I were, he was in San Francisco for a couple of years and we were like, this just feels right, man. Like you just, you got to be yourself. You got to be real. You just, you know, and if you're doing it right, you'll succeed. And if you're faking it, you get kicked out, mm-hmm. you know, and pub and kitchen, I think what, what reframed me to, to be okay with kind of screwing up at snack bar. First of all, your successes are real or your failures are what make you a success. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things that happened. Uh, the recession of 08, Mm. hit nobody wanted to go experiment on dinner anymore you know everybody was kind of like i'm not going out a whole lot so when i do i want to know what i'm getting i want to know what i'm getting i want fish and chips cool is it good okay yeah i'll take that 16 bucks instead of this like crazy poached salmon with almond foam and blueberry gel that like you're like i wouldn't eat that on a good day you know so i think there was a recession that kind of like everybody was like all right let's take it down a minute and i also i realized that I, i had stopped cooking for the reason that I originally set out to do and, and that was just to make people happy through food like I remember like having the worst day in high school and coming home like pissed off like after practice or whatever it was and my grandmother I would say to me um, I'd, I'd be like seething you know and she'd be like you want to talk about it I'm like yeah I'm, you know this that and she's like you know what why don't eat something first like let me make you something to eat and she would take time make me something to eat and then you eat and once your belly's full yeah. you're kind of like 
forget it. It's another tomorrow's another day, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's we're fortunate enough because there's people who have bad days who come home right. who don't get to fill their bellies, right? Right. Um, so I realized I was like, wait a minute. The whole point going out to eat at a restaurant is a luxury, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And so I have to be a good steward of this kind of skill that I've learned, and I want to pay it forward and just do right by the farmers, do right by the diners, do right by the owners and the investors, and just. Like, put your best foot forward for everything you do. So I kind of took my licks, you know, and, like, I was yeah. like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over here. And, like, I'm going to take it down a notch and humble myself, lose the fancy chef coat, wear a T-shirt, an apron, and jeans, and just, like, jump on the line and get dirty and get gritty again. And that's what that's Philly. You yeah, know? yeah. And then it was, you know, you guys quickly became known as one of the best bars in Philadelphia. I think you guys were named best bar. You were yeah. named best cheeseburger. You were named best hamburger. Yeah. So, th- you know, there was there, there had to be some redemption there when you it felt, felt like, okay, it okay, did. now it's... Did, uh, did Danya write about Public Kitchen? <laughs> she did. She definitely liked it better. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really connected uh, at Pub and Kitchen. Um, I made sure that she never paid for pickles again. Mm. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, you brought out a complimentary pl- plate of pickles. Little pickles on the house. I just want to send her a tweet. We're interviewing him and send little pickle gifts to her. Oh man, it'd be great. Oh man, she was she was fierce. She was so tough, man. So you're you're at Pub and Kitchen, and things are humming humming along pretty well, but you've got this itch, obviously, to do something different. Now, what's what's the itch to go? down that other lane besides the one that you've been on for right. at this point probably going on 10 years yeah at this point let's see 2000 2008 um i guess it was around 2010 uh pub and kitchen would open for about two years um and i was working a ton and damien uh, my best friend we met in the sixth grade we grew up together um and had been roommates you know in our younger early 20s Basically, I, I just I knew that I wouldn't be able to do this forever. I, w- I was working a lot. Right. I really enjoyed it, but life was passing me by. All of a sudden, I had a two-year-old. Yeah. You know, and my wife was like, "We should probably buy a house. We're gonna need a little space. Do you want to have another kid? I don't know." And I'm like, "Whoa, what's going on? We have two dogs." And so I was like, "All right, I need to have an exit strategy, you know, and I need something that can I can start now. Maybe it's gonna take a while to grow." So Damien and I always wanted to do something, and his experience, he had eight years at La Coloma under his belt. And uh, really, let's, let's, let's do coffee. I'm like, I, I believe coffee is food, and it's my favorite food, and I grew up with it. It was in my house. My dad's from Argentina, so we had coffee like at a very early age, like three. Wow. Like equal parts coffee boiled on a stovetop with dulce de leche. Like that's how I learned coffee. I just needed, needed something to do in the back burner. So I remember going to the owner of Pub and Kitchen. I was like, I want to do this coffee thing. Are you cool with that? Like, I'm not going anywhere, but I want to start this thing. And he was like, yeah, as long as you're here and as long as the food's coming out and everything's right, like, go do it. So Rival gets launched. We're going. We got a food truck. We have a little roastery. Damien and I scrape some money together. We got a small investor to give us a little bit of money, start kind of building this thing. And because it was his background with La Cologne, which was very well respected and still very well respected, and then me still being a chef, there was this unique kind of characteristic to the company people like oh that's kind of that's cool you know and we had a truck we didn't have a coffee shop and and it just started to kind of take off and it started to build um and then it was right when like twitter exploded and we jumped we jumped on it and i would i would do like full album fridays from the truck and just tweet out 
who what what album do you want to listen to? You know, and like one person, probably Danya, would respond. <laughs> you know, and be like Frank Zappa. I'm like, nah, that sucks. I'm not putting. That <laughs> you know? and I'd put on like Springsteen, you know, and just play the whole album straight through. And like, it was literally like I went from having two restaurants and managing all these different people and all these nightmares that come along with being in the restaurant game to like being on a truck playing the boss slinging coffee and it was like it literally saved my life literally I, I just I didn't I had two kids at the time mm. and uh, we bought a house in Mount Airy and I was like I don't, I don't want to be a statistic I don't want to end up divorced I don't want to end up not seeing my kids until I'm retired I right. want to I want to slow down I want to enjoy these things this is what life is all about. So I made a very conscious and financially painful decision to quit my job <laughs> and just walk away from it. And uh, it, was, it was really, really hard. And I think I got through it because my family, especially my wife's family, who I'm very close with, they were like, you know, kid, do whatever you got to do. Like, this makes sense. You're doing this for the right reasons, you know, and, and you're right. It, it is. It's about the legacy I leave behind. My legacy is my kids, my children, what sure. they do, the name they carry forward. You know, they, that's what's important to me. So now it's about, it is about balance and it is about structure um, and slowing down enough to smell the roses, honestly. How'd you, uh, how'd you come up with the name? It was funny. We, we kind of put together these ideas of, of, uh, things that inspired us Springsteen Clint Eastwood and Old Westerns and you know Route 66 and we hired a, a firm that came up with Pub and Kitchen actually they came up with the Pabbit logo the oh, pig crap. and the rabbit oh, yeah. and um, we went to them and said you know create us a brand identity um, so they came back with a bunch of different kind of options and that was one so I'm of like Irish Scottish background Damien's Italian background and they you know, we're so opposite. And if you know us, we literally could not be more opposite. Um, and they kind of played off of that. So Rival Brothers is just a kind of a tongue-in-cheek play off of that where we we literally, I mean, we had, like, knockdown dragouts. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like it's, it's really tough being in business with somebody. And I imagine it's even tougher when you guys are friends, really good friends coming into it. Mm-hmm. You know, for for no, this bro- podcast has been super easy with <laughs> yeah, you and I. Yeah, we don't yeah, fight. We've never yeah, fought. Yeah, yeah. Greg and I, <laughs> Greg it, and I go at it pretty good. Is this the heaviest podcast you guys have ever had? I feel bad. I'm like, I'm not no, nearly no, no. as fun or as interesting as Fergie. Yeah, well, yeah, no, <laughs> or John Belaris. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah. They're on like Mount Rushmore. I mean. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> How does it work in coffee? So do you guys, when you buy beans, I guess, do you mm-hmm. visit the places that are growing the beans? Like, how do you find suppliers and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, you can. I mean, the, they call it in the, in the industry, it's going to origin um, and traveling. And we haven't done that. We've always, just the way we framed our business, we were always, like, doing stuff and just didn't have the wherewithal to pull ourselves out to then go travel. Because all these places are hard to get to. Like, Ethiopia coffee growing region is very difficult to to get to yeah um so it's it's on our bucket list there's other companies uh um, when you don't have that todd carmichael money it's harder no, to disappear exactly. into the uh yeah the underbrush to, to discover <laughs> tribes that nobody else has ever found to get, right. find their coffee so yes. are there like reputable importers that yeah. have a sampling of different beans you can exactly technology has really helped like i can facetime with a rep in ethiopia who's wow. like yo talk to this farmer 
you know, and you're like, hey, what's up, man? You know, and um, there's definitely a, an access, a worldwide access. So it started with us just trying to figure out what we what we wanted, what we liked in coffee. We worked backwards. I said, well, I wanted to taste like this. Like the co- the first question Damien asked me was, what kind of coffee do you like? And I was like, man, no one's ever asked me that question. I've just always just kind of drank whatever was in front of me. I had right. my favorites, but when I thought about creating it from a flavor profile, like nose, body, mouthfeel, aroma, finish, you know, we started realizing, okay, well, this is what I like. And he'd say, all right, I'm going to figure out which countries grow coffee that will do that. So we worked backwards. Um, and then, yeah, we found brokers and importers. And now there's just like a ton of transparency and accessibility to, to sourcing those lots. And there's a lot of expos like SEAA, Specialty Coffee Association of America, had a big expo in Boston in April. So I was able to meet uh, one of our producers, uh, Yuki, who grows second generation Japanese woman in Brazil, who we just bought a, an entire shipping container of her coffee. And she was like, jumped into my arms and hugged me and was like ecstatic and like complete stranger. But like buying 18 tons of someone's product is, mm. is crazy and change can easily change a farmer's life. For know? sure, yeah. So it, that's as close as we've come. And it's, it's a, I, I love, with my wanderlust, I know that if I hit the road one more time, I might be gone for a long <laughs> time, you know. Um, but we're, we're trying to do it. And I think, like, whereas Todd might go to like find coffee and source this crazy thing and then like buy all of it on the spot for me and i think for for most of us not in reality tv it it would be going to create relationships and build friendships with farmers and organizers and try to give back i mean that's a big thing too is we want to work with importers that are paying fair wages and providing access to clean water and shoes and not overworking people you know what i mean and and not engaging child labor you know so there's like this there's a those those are more of the kind of the big dreams that we have is is trying to to help on that level is there is there anything seasonal like beer drinkers will do pale ale in the summers maybe a heavier stout in the winter yeah there's definitely definitely coffee's a harvest crop so there's a cycle to it so different countries around the equator harvest at different times so there's like oh naturals kind of hit at this time or you know, a lot of people like I like a lighter rose coffee in the summer and a darker rose mm-hmm. coffee in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is kind of similar to beer drinking and wine drinking. You know, where it has kind of like that same idea of seasonality. Absolutely, interesting. Absolutely, I'm really proud to be a city dweller because I was doing some research today and I saw the Starbucks, the CEO now saying like uh, the biggest challenge to them are the inner city independent stores. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're focusing actually now on the suburbs now because that's where their growth markets are because people like you are just taking such a market share from them. That makes me so happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's funny. I, people are always like, oh, you must hate Starbucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for right. Starbucks. Right. Like, they paved the way. 1977, 1978, they started. And, yeah. and that's, that's massive. The original founder, the original guy who sold his company to Starbucks, which became Starbucks, this guy, George Howell, he's still in business in Boston and, like, crushing it in a totally different way. And 
it was the first time I realized Starbucks that like, oh, coffee comes from a place. It's not like, you know, it was like French roast or Cafe Verona. It had all these fancy names, right? Like evening blend. It was, no, it was like Sumatra Mandeling. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Right. And I had to like look it up, you know, which then, of course, you remember the dark ages. Like you couldn't Google it. Google (laughs) You had to go to the library and take out a book like Sumatra, you know. Um, so at Starbucks definitely it got me excited about customer service it got me excited about coffee as a food and having a sense of place and then once once something that you're connected to has a sense of place which I think is really important all of a sudden you're like oh wait there's people there doing this there's people there growing this or there's people there on you know husbands or wives and children surrounding it so it it just kind of like Wow, wow, this is like, you know, it makes the whole world seem a little smaller, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a saying in what we do, which is because we can't, we can be a local business, but coffee grows around the equator, so we're definitely not local, right. you know, but it's right. like roast global, think local, you know, mm-hmm. and like use coffee from Sumatra, but we're using dairy from a farm that's like 40 miles from here, you know, and using bakery items that come from like the other side of town, yeah. you know, and that, that kind of thing, and yeah, keeping it as local as possible. Yeah, in that way. So right. you told you told LeBron, uh, LeBron five years ago. Oh boy. I hope I'm in coffee for the rest of my life, but I still never opened the restaurant I always wanted to open. The itch is there, and at some point it's coming. Wow. What is the restaurant you always wanted to open? All right, Sherlock. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it was just something smaller. Um, that wasn't so like I wanted to be open every day, but just you know something that the, the idea that I have in my head, which is like Adams and Company, the restaurant, was kind of like a place that would just be very comfortable, very approachable, high quality ingredients. When I said that, since then, like seventy three restaurants have opened up exactly like the one that I kind of wanted to do, <laughs> right. and I was like, all right, well, we were all kind of thinking the same way, you know? It was like kind of get away from the fine dining but still have like really nice restaurant ingredients like um, Hearthside in Collingswood is a prime example heard great things about that spot like amazing stuff like um, basically anything that like Todd Wentz does you know like if I wanted to do French food and I was going to do like the Philly version of like I'm going to make I'm going to do French cuisine it would be Townsend like he just nails it and he has the pedigree to nail it you know Um, yeah Italian I would do like Hearthside like definitely Um, or even like Chris Kearse like his his restaurant that's about to open for Scythia uh, is gonna oh, yeah. be just yeah. killer, you yeah. know. Or like if I were gonna open a pizza place, I, I would open pizza on Shaka Maxon. Like mm. instead of pies only, like Badia, these guys are open. Like they're and they're never not there, and they're doing slices only. And like I just love that, you know. So I think it's the the concept was slow it down, take a breath, like lessen things on the plate, just make them be more important. And, and have a, a wine and beer list that's just really kind of curated and thoughtful and fun and not so damn expensive, which is part of the problem in Pennsylvania, yeah. you know, is that the, just that driving force is just so high, you know, it makes it tough. All right, we ready to go to the blunt? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so this is uh, rapid fire. We're going to hit you quickly with questions. You're going to hit us uh, quickly with answers. All right. Uh, what's the best place to get a hoagie in Philadelphia? Best hoagie, uh, Angelo's, 9th Street. Oh, yeah. that shit. That guy is like a radical genius, too. He's got no freezer. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
It's so good. He'll just be like on Instagram and be like, didn't like the dough. No pizza today. Sorry. It's like, what? You're a pizza <laughs> shop. Straight, straight beast. I love it. Straight I love when beast. places running out of dough. I'm like, wow, what, what's your business model? Well, he won't even make one pizza with it. He doesn't like the way it looks in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any, anything he makes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're on the road. You're in the middle of nowhere. Best cheap coffee. Oof. You know, I I would probably go for whatever convenience store. I know, like, if I'm down south, it's like Sheets or whatever, you know. Just because I know they're busy, they're going to churn through it. Mm. So it may not be the best quality, but at least I know it's going to be hot and fresh. Mm. You know? Book everyone should read. Um, hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. Probably Hinton's The Outsiders. S.E. Hinton. All right. First concert. First concert. This isn't pretty. This is, this is pretty. This is pretty crazy. I have low expectations after Twitter. After uh, seeing your Twitter follows. Uh, <laughs> um, well, way back is it Amnesty International concert? It was. Uh, it was uh, Sinbad opening. <laughs> I love Sinbad. It was Sinbad. It was obviously it's not a concert, but he was like the yeah, yeah. the, the lead in. It was Sinbad. Uh, opening for Color Me Bad with two Ds. I oh think. yeah, for Color sure. Me Bad, two yeah. Z, right? Wow. And yeah. then the headliner was Vanessa Williams. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, attractive woman, but all right. What's a question you commonly get asked? Um, well, it's usually related to coffee, and somebody just holds up a bag and says, "How do I make this?" <laughs> right. Uh, name something beautiful about Philadelphia. Ben Franklin Bridge. Uh, sunrise or, or sunset, honestly, depending on which direction you're headed. Uh, what is something that you're terrible at? Mm, um, being early. Yeah. Like, I'm not as bad about being late anymore, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely, like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I really want to be the early guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I'm just like, like, give me, I want to be there 10 minutes before everybody else. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm not good at that. Boxers, briefs, or boxer briefs? Uh, I'd say, depending on if it's over ninety, or bikinis. Well, if it's over ninety, boxers. If it's under ninety, boxer briefs. Complicated. Mm-hmm. Underrated restaurant in Philly. Wow, I mean, wherever Dunmire is these days, you know, North Third is always Dickie's still there. Yeah, it's always it's always really solid. Um, also, the I, don't know, I guess it wasn't really underrated, but Dimitri's. Like I remember going to Dimitri's. Yeah, this place is still just, packed. Right, There's still a line outside. So I guess I don't know if that's really underrated, but you never really hear about no. it. They're not right. winning awards. Right. They're right. not like. But the people who know know. You're like, mm-hmm. oh my god, like tilapia, Spanish rice, and escarole, like so yeah. good. You yeah, know, definitely, always a good meal, quality. Uh, name something that scares you. Hmm. Uh, getting blood drawn. Definitely. You do the tattoos. Though. Terrifying. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Do tattoos, I'm, but no. I'm good uh, with that. Okay. I've had my it's lower back skin, and yeah. my thighs and my chest tattooed. No problem. No problem at all. But yeah, you, you, you tie me off to draw. <laughs> yeah. I'm down for the count, man. I am down. Who is the most interesting person you've ever met? John Belaris. <laughs> Agree. Oh, oh, okay. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. We were talking John Valera's story earlier. Let's wrap it up with the John Valera story. Um, it, you know, it's really it's just a reference. It was at the diving horse, and this um, beautiful woman approached the open kitchen that we had, and I was like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> and 
I realized it was this girl that I was her prom date like years before this girl Lauren. I was like, what? You ask her or she asked you? She asked me because her nice. boyfriend wasn't available, who is now my business partner, Damien. Oh, wow. Damien's ex. All right. So it was Damien's ex. And uh, yeah, she she uh, she walks up. It's just beautiful girl. Great girl. And I was like, well, Lauren, oh my God, I haven't seen her in years. And we're catching up for a minute. I go, are you here having dinner? And she's like, yeah, come come, meet, come say hello to my friends. I'm like, all right, sure. So we turn around and we go back to this table and there's just this, this big 10 top or 12 top people. There's bottles of wine everywhere. They ordered like the whole menu three times over. Like they were doing it right. Yeah, yeah. And it was definitely a table that we were like paying attention to. Um, and she's like, this is my boyfriend, John. Oh shit, for real? Yeah, and I'm like, that... I, I I know him and and he just kind of like looked at me like kind of like looked me up and down yeah and was like what's up dude you know and like <laughs> that was it and and then I'm like Lauren I'm like you, you gotta you gotta break up with this guy like what are you doing like, <laughs> he's he's the greatest man come on I know at the time I was like I equated John Belaris with douchebag yeah like totally yeah and I was like Lauren why are you dating John Belaris so yeah. I mean that's pretty wild yeah. so I mean we can't get out of here I have to say man I mean I, I scour the Twitter feeds yep, who yep. you follow so you follow a heinous football team that I will not mention and probably one of my least favorite musical acts of all time Billy Joel so you can either explain why you follow this horrible football team or just give us your favorite Billy Joel song. Wow. Wow. Well, I'll definitely... Neither, neither, one, of, uh, neither one of the answers is going to crown you in glory. It's going <laughs> to be... Okay. Yeah, no, it's... But one one could put my life at risk. So um, <laughs> my favorite Billy Joel song is... Uh, is <laughs> <laughs> he, knows, he knows. He knows. The people listening are all in Philadelphia, so Billy Joel's not an issue at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah the football, I mean, football he's pretty popular good. here. Sells yeah. out the ballpark every summer. Yeah. No, he does. No, you know what? Honestly, I had no idea that I followed Billy Joel. Yeah. Nobody yeah. ever has any idea. Every to follow. episode yeah. when I ask about who they follow, yeah. they're like, "I have no yeah. idea." I follow yeah, the person. I'm like, really? I'm who, like, is no, the, uh, my, who is the? Who is the porno? Uh, somebody was following a porn star and they're like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's <laughs> they're like, incredible. wait, are you sure about that? They're well, like, that was, uh, was like, yeah, that was no, a I'm film sure. director, the documentary guy, Tiger. Tiger oh, Tiger Hill. Hill. Yeah. You know what? I think it's probably Avalon. You remember that song by Billy Joel? No. Like, there's this. this uh, Allentown? No. He, Avalon? He's got a song, and maybe it's not even called Avalon, but it's like, it's the. I just remember being in Avalon cooking like that was a song that Ed found it was like there's a Billy Joel song about Avalon it was like the rain in Avalon or whatever and we would play it on like the I last day I guess the rain is down in Avalon yeah 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 no it's a great song great song yeah. Um, but yeah not probably not my favorite guy alright for sure but yeah that's probably why it was work related cool understood alright so, uh, yeah, I think we're uh, good to go. Yeah, what are your social medias? Yeah. How do people follow Rival Brothers? Yeah, at rivalbrothers.com um, or just at Rival Brothers Coffee um, is our, our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And then I'm at Johnny Mac, no H. Uh, if you're interested in the personal stuff, but I'm private, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna scour you first. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Gonna, no, you're gonna you do your uh, background. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, what's next for Rival Brothers? We're gonna keep it going. Just try to kind of build things out and just try to get better at what we do, you know. And definitely uh, try to have as many vegan options as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's important. Yeah. You still enjoying it? I love it. Yeah. It's great every yeah. day. I mean, I'm just 
there's not enough hours in the day to do what I want to do and to get everything done and we're growing and I'm doing it with my best friend and it's like it's still like I gotta pinch myself sometimes that it's like it's pretty awesome to do it and to, to do it here too you right, know? right 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 yeah that's great man all right, well, awesome having you yeah. on the show, John. Thanks, thanks for coming lot, on, bud. Thanks yeah. so much. Shout Appreciate out to Grace it. Tavern. Thanks for having us again. Yeah, of course. Second time. One of the best bars in Philly, no yeah. question. Cool. All right, take it light. Later. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Brotherly love, brothers covered in blood. The man's office is covered in bugs. The youth dreams cut short. Swept-